0: Spotlight On is brought to you by Light, the technology platform reimagining e commerce for live events. You can learn more about Light at light.com forward slash partnerships. That is L Y T E dot forward slash partnerships. Hello and welcome to Spotlight On. I'm your host, Lawrence Purrier. This week, the spotlight shines on Angus Hayes, founder of Harvest Media. Harvest Media offers solutions for production music publishers to manage and distribute their catalogs. Production music is audio material, music beds and such, specifically created for use in video and other media content. In our current world of video all around us, harvest operates in a fast-growing but under-discussed segment of the global music market angus shared a bit about his journey harvest's evolution and the production music world i hope you enjoy so it looks like there's two anguses dialed in here or i don't know if that's anguses or (laughs) angai
1: well i think i think it's angai as in as in fungi um (laughs) Uh, was one of my nicknames when I was a kid. Um, oh, boy. <laughs> but I survived. The, the bullies are never the most
0: clever people. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, where are you located? Uh, Sydney, Australia. Sydney, yep. Australia. Yep. And so um, what time of day is it right now?
1: It's uh, just after 10 a.m. in the morning.
0: Yeah. On December 1st?
1: It's December 1. Yeah, indeed. Can yep. you
0: send me the uh, winning lottery numbers so that I'm, <laughs> I'm in the past? So, <laughs> uh,
1: Yeah, like the, um, like the sports almanac from uh, Back to the Future, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, sure, I'm sure no Americans ever said that to you. So uh, <laughs> I get the pleasure of being the first one. Um, so a lot I want to learn about Harvest Media. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think the first question I would like to ask is what was the initial, what was the initial problem statement that you were attacking? What what was the, what were you initially setting out to do? Um, and I ask it that way, I'll just sort of preempt myself a little bit because it, um, I'm curious, I'll be curious to learn whether we are at a fuller articulation right now of an earlier vision you always had. Or if you started out with a really narrow problem you were seeking to solve and realized there was a bigger universe before you?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, That's a really good place to start as well. I guess it wasn't a fully articulated um, vision that we had, Um, but I think we were in the right place at the right time with the right experience to be in a position to respond to the problem that was in front of us. Mm-hmm. And the problem or the, um, the vision that we were starting or the journey that we were starting out on was um, this ability for catalogs or music cu- curated specifically for TV production or advertising production um, needed to be shared and it needed to be shared globally globally. And uh, there was, there's catalogue owners and then there's sales and marketing agents who represent those catalogues. And in our parlance, we call them original publishers and sub-publishers. So when we first came across this, we had experience with audio and metadata management, um, having worked in, in B2C um, similar set services to like iTunes, and we were doing some background music services into retail and hospitality. So we were we understood what an audio file was in the various formats, whether it was Windows Media Audio or MP3 or a wave lossless file, and we also understood the the importance of of metadata, metadata for the descriptors and in terms of how it gets found, um, rights holders. So um, it can get paid out the back end, and also unique identifiers in terms of um, registering that work, uh, so it can be traded legitimately on a, on a global global stage. Um, so, so that was our sort of background, and, and there's a lot more to that as well. Um, but effectively, uh, through that, we were engaged by a local broadcaster here in Sydney, Australia, called Foxtel, part of the Fox Network, and their big problem was they had a a lot of production editing suites for doing their promos, for doing their production um, of short-form video, long-form content. And um, the music publishers, record labels and catalogs were delivering their content to them in a very ad hoc and um, not a very organised way. They were actually delivering hard drives into the edit suite. So, So the problem... That the um, edit suite producers had was they just had, they were just dying under content. They were, you know, they had no way of going, oh, that's the track I want. I need it here. Um, they just had basically were plugging in hard drives as and when they needed it and were playing Lucky Strike in terms of finding the content they want. So they needed to effecti- effectively create a library, if you like. Um, and this is going back to probably 2007 2008 and uh, I think the production music market was probably a laggard in a digital sense um, so a, a lot of their transaction a lot of the business was done still via CD still still via hard drives um, and so Foxtel came to us um, having seen what we'd done in our other work and uh, asked us to create a, a, a basically a a precursor to a cloud service so um, get all that content in a digital format into an organized um, library in the cloud and create a neat user interface so that people could access it from any of the production editing suites um, search download listen to create playlists share those playlists amongst their teams um, and and effectively create queues for whatever the production it was that they were working on. So that was kind of the genesis. And there was a touch of serendipity as well. Um, In the office that we were working in, um, there was another company a couple of doors down uh, that was called Big Bang and Fuzz, and they were a big sub-publisher. So they represented some 200 labels in the Australasian territory. And they used to push these carts of cds past our office every day and so when we picked up this contract with foxtel you know it's like suddenly that had context and so we pulled pulled them up and and we actually asked them the question what what are you doing and they said well we're delivering this content to tv production house and advertising agencies and to foxtel and to other broadcasters in australia and we said well let's have a chat um so was just this like kind of really neat piece of timing um in the universe and um the, the gentleman that owned that business guy by the name of Andrew Jones actually ended up being one of our founders in Harvester Media um, and gave us a lot of steering in terms of um, and a lot of insight into how the global production music market works. Um, so, yeah, so, so effectively the core workflow that we needed to solve um, that effectively gave us the vision for the business was this. If you had a catalogue, and you're based in the US and and we had a sales marketing arrangement where I was representing your catalogue in the Austra- Australasian territories and it could ex- include New Zealand or parts of Asia, is you needed a good method for getting that catalogue to me um, that unified the audio and unified the metadata and, and also had a, um, a QA'd it. So the, the metadata was in good shape, the audio was in a... Um, had good continuity. It was all in a lossless wave format, the same bit rate. And so it gave you the ability to upload that catalog into the cloud service and distribute it to me. But then also you would have a sales agent in South Africa, in Denmark, in the UK, um, in India, uh, in, in Canada, in South America, et cetera. So that one action of sharing to me meant that you could also share that content to every other territory around the world so by virtue of that, it really streamlined your oper- operations, but also gave you um, uh, an expeditious way of of looking for new opportunities for sales and marketing re- relationships around the world. So that was the core problem on the on your side as the publisher. On the sub publisher side, I might be representing, and this is the case with Big Bang and Fuzz, they were representing maybe 200 catalogues uh, worth of music and. So, so our job as Harvest Media was to go and talk to all the publishers and say, hey, get your catalogue onto the cloud, share it with Big Bang Fuzz. <clears throat> so by virtue of that, um, Andrew Jones of Big Bang Fuzz suddenly had this really efficient way of receiving 200 catalogues, a million copyrights in the same metadata format with the same audio standard and also ongoing in terms of new release and whatever the production schedule was of the pu- publisher. On the publisher side, they suddenly had this really neat ability to distribute their content globally to other Andrew Joneses in other territories around the world who were looking for the same solution. So effectively at the core of it, Harvest Media is a um, an intertwined network or ecosystem of um, publishers sharing with their sales and marketing agents around the world. And, and we've really unified um, and developed that business out of our you know, humble little abode here in Sydney, Australia, uh, where we've less than two percent of our business is actually here. All of our businesses: uh, North America, Europe, UK, and the rest of the world. Um, wow. But the core core parts of our business are North America and and the other two that I just mentioned. So I'll just I'll pause there, I guess.
0: No, so so it's definitely a network effect in terms of the more uh, the more publishers you get and the more sales agents you get the more valuable they are to each other on the platform.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's right. And from a sub-publisher's perspective, they used to spend, or a sales market, they used to spend a lot of their time normalizing the catalogs that they were receiving because they were getting it from an FTP site here and an FTP site there, maybe a hard drive here, maybe some CDs in the post.
0: May I interrupt just for one second? Did the the, the, the normalizing process mean like Opening it up in Winamp or iTunes or what have you, and manually playing with the metadata, modifying yeah, it presi- precisely.
1: Precisely, yeah. Oh. Or it could have been in a spreadsheet, <laughs> um, or you know, some other quite rudimentary. When they might have been um, receiving CDs, <clears throat> having big ripping towers ripping the the content, marrying up the metadata with it. Um, so, so you can imagine as a sub publisher where your job is to actually exploit the work. And sell it and market it in your territory, you spent eighty percent of your time administering the catalogue. So effectively what we've done is we've turned these sub publishers' businesses on their head and let them focus entirely now on selling and marketing and looking for opportunities to um, you know, for, for to exploit and do sync um with, with those catalogs of music. Yeah. Um and then on the original publisher side, they might have only had Maybe three or four sub-publisher relationships around the world. I think the average now that we're distributing is somewhere between 15 and 20 sub-publishers. So their revenue opportunity, um, you, we're, we're giving them tools that only the majors had before. And that's not to say we don't have major clients as well, uh, but certainly we're giving enterprise-level tools, making them accessible from a very small composer-type situation right through to small independents to medium um, you know heavyweights with good budgets right through to majors
0: and what's the um what's the business relationship with each of those two constituents is the sub-publisher paying you know are you a SaaS model like how how does it work how do you get paid
1: yes so we we're a SaaS model entirely Uh, what we found very early on um when we were sort of testing our rate card and and how we might monetize the service is that our clients don't like us being in their transaction with them. Uh, So that means clipping their ticket effectively. So if they were to do a sync and we were to go on a percentage split of whatever their success is, that didn't really um, resonate that well. What did resonate is, hey, we're a software provider and, um, and, and here's our rate card. Then they could get a handle on their budgeting. Like most businesses, they like to be able to forecast their costs. And and they could say, all right, well, the harvest meat is going to cost me X. As as I add more tracks, I start adding, and so basically, our business model is as you add tracks and as you add tiers of service, um, the the pricing increases. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we um, the the flip side of that is the relationship between the publisher and the sub publisher in terms of how they work. Uh, now, they um, they have a sync um, a sub publishing agreement. Uh, between the two parties, we actually stay entirely out of that. All that contract is managed outside of Harvest Media.
0: Oh, really? Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so you're not okay. So, are you getting paid on both sides of the market? Is the publisher uh, paying you as well as the sub publisher?
1: It's a really good question too. So, <clears throat> so we have. Um, so, for a for a publisher, and I used um, you as example before. If if you had a catalog that had two thousand tracks in it. And you wanted to join Harvest Media. We've, we have a, a freemium entry level that lets you ingest up to two and a half thousand works and share that with six sub-publishers around the world without, without fee. Um, we monetize you once you go over the two and a half thousand tracks or over the six, six sub-publishers, um, incrementally. So the more sub-publishers you add after the first six, uh, I think it's 20 bucks a month for each additional one. And we have track bundles of two and a half thousand tracks for 40 bucks a month. Um, So if you had eight sub-publishers and 3,000 tracks, the fee would be $80 per month. Mm -hmm. So basically how it works. Um, When you share your album or your tracks with the sub-publisher, we're not duplicating the audio asset. Okay, so this is a really neat underpin of how Harvest Media works is, Uh, the sharing is effectively saying, hey, you're just letting me look at the same audio file, but we do duplicate the metadata, and I'll come back to that later. Um, But by virtue of not having to duplicate the audio file, we're not duplicating the cost. So we're not moving... Yeah, we're not using a copy of your audio file and duplicating it into South Africa and Scandinavia and Australia, effectively ending up with four versions of of the audio file. So it keeps it very neat and tidy. Um, And... And then, ha- and and so, for a sub publisher um, to receive catalogs is free, until they add an API, a search service, or some other application that effectively puts a a, um, a wrapper around the aggregation that we're doing for them. So we monetize the um, the so in summary, we monetize the the original publisher um, once they go over certain limits, and then we monetize the sub publishing side once they start adding applications to the service. Mm-hmm. Some
0: I I have some questions about um sort of the infrastructure or what's under the hood, um Mm -hmm. in so much as you're you're comfortable answering them. Did you have to so this was two thousand seven, two thousand eight when you got up and running? So so did you have to build your own CDN, your own cloud infrastructure, or you know, have you what what did you buy versus build and did that mix change over the years?
1: It certainly Evolved and changed enormously since we first started. <clears throat> so I think we originally we started on Rackspace, and we had so we had servers in the US. Everything's always we've never really hosted within the Australian shores, um, not for any real technical or latency reason. Um, more more cost. There was more opportunities in North America to scale our business. So we started out <clears throat> on on Rackspace, Rackspace, and it's been a I guess a slow migration into um, Amazon web services over the years. And, um, you know, so those true native cloud platforms, it could be Azure, it could be Amazon, they just offer the breadth of opportunity and services that we need to scale our business. Um, And what I mean by that is, you know, at the core of it, database services, um, cache services for distributed content, points of presence globally, um, underpinning um, the service revision with, um, search algorithms that we can build our native applications on. So effectively, we yeah, we're now um, wholly on AWS and we've built our entire ecosystem on, on AWS. But we could, you know, migrate to Azure um, and get the same outcome. Um, your your s- comment about CDN, at the early stages, <clears throat> the, the content delivery network aspect of it um wasn't such a big deal it's become a big deal now you know in, in terms of using the breadth of amazon services so you know we um we've got clients that are um might have um offices in in multiple domiciles um you know so i use west one music as the example head, headquartered in the uk offices in spain france germany <clears throat> um california and also also in New York, New York um, they have client bases in all those locations and they use our single application to service um, their global client base. Excuse me one sec. <laughs>
0: um,
1: so, yeah, um, that content delivery and being able to shuffle content around mm-hmm. and get it closer and closer to where the audience is is super important.
0: What um, <clears throat> What does a client – uh, what does a publisher have to deliver to you? What's their, you know, to, to, to get up and into your system. Are they uploading lossless files? Are they sending you hard drives? Like what's the workflow? I guess that's question. That's part a part B is because it's production audio. Are you, does your workflow pick up at sort of the mastering studio level or like, how does it, how do you interface with the publisher?
1: yep okay so really um the the genesis of an album <clears throat> and I use the reference album or cd because um, we're really just packaging up the content <clears throat> sorry just get me let me get a water just one sec sorry Um, yeah, so we start with a, with a WAV audio file, and, and it's contained in a, like an album structure. And the metadata goes with that. It's in an in a Excel spreadsheet. It's a lossless WAV audio file, and it might have a JPEG cover up with it. So it's, it's kind of what we think of as a, um, you know, like a, an album um, in a traditional sense. <clears throat> that comes in through our gateway into our cloud service. Which is a, an ingestion application where you can bring in multiple multiple albums at a time. Um, interestingly, and this ties dovetails into your previous question around um, you know CDN and, and where we host etc. is um, because we only ask for the wave audio. We do all the transcoding and data embedding within our application within our cloud. So it's a it's another administrative benefit. Um, You only need the wave and we can convert to, we create all the streaming files for the listening aspect. So it could be a 128, 192, even a 96 um, for the streaming file. We always create a full set of 320 MP3s. And then every other format bit rate is created on the fly. So a track transcode, an album transcode, or a playlist transcode is all done on the fly. And we're doing some really nice things behind the scenes as well. Um, in terms of embedding data um, to the headers of those files. So ID3 tags on MP3 and a and we attach, um, <clears throat> and with, sorry, without getting too technical, embedding um, a BEX, uh, sorry, attaching a BEX header to a WAV file as well. And uh, so there's a lot of processing that goes on with the file as it's being requested, listened to and actually requested for download.
0: How much of that from a product point of view and a capability point of view are things that are driven by the secondary publishers and client things they need in the, in the production audio space.
1: It's um, we're we're really wholly driven by the client. So some clients have might have a preference for MP3, 320s. Some clients might have a preference for eighth and, and you know, interestingly it seems to be a little bit geographic um, so I know in the US, I think apes are quite popular. Um, a high-res MP3 is quite popular in the UK. And then other territories have, have a preference for WAVE. So so uh, that's our clients talking to their clients. And our clients being the publishers, clients are TV production ha- um, houses, broadcasters, etc., who are pro- – uh, uh, well, not probably. I know that they're asking for it because it needs to then go into their workflows, which is – you know, Avid Pro Tools, et
0: cetera. Yeah, yeah. Do, do you find that um, on the secondary publisher side of the market, they are ever afraid of you, you know, disintermediating them with their clients? Or has that ever been a business you've looked at, um, given that you control the <clears> supply <throat> chain? You could just, you know, would you ever just go hire an army of salespeople and now you've sort of collapsed the, the value
1: prop? Uh, the short answer is no. Um, you know, we, we, we are a software as a service provider. The, we, we feel like, uh, more like custodians, (coughs) um, supporters of our, of our clients, businesses and, and enablers. Um, so, you know, we've got upwards of 300 direct clients, maybe a thousand, um, indirect through freemium accounts or recipient accounts, And uh, you know that's kind of a it's it's a uh, it's a position of responsibility that we don't take for granted. Um, you know we're working with a broad spectrum of catalogs, as I said before, from very smalls to to large to to large independents. And we look at what's happened in the marketplace with you know say the different licensing models around audio network or the epidemic <coughs> um, majors that sit, sit outside our networks. Um, Big independents like Extreme Music that sit outside the network, startups, new licensing models like Artlist, um, and and what they're doing, and 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 certainly we could pivot, you know, if 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 that was something that we were interested in doing, but um, I, I think that we're steadfastly encumbered with our <laughs> with our existing <laughs> business. Um, what
0: um what is the I. I your self-identity is as a tech company, as a tech platform, as a software company. Is that sort of how you, that's how you, you know, that that's what you call yourself essentially?
1: Yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. Um, you know, we, uh, if you profile our business, um, uh, I've got two business partners. Um, one of them's the CTO, Hamish. Um, the other one's um, background is a pure mathematician, um, Roland. <coughs> um and then we've got six, six develop, uh, well on, on staff, we've got, um, 12 developers. Um, so yeah, you know, we, we are at, at our DNA, a software, a software business.
0: Yeah. Well, I ask that because I'm, I'm curious as to what the, um, what's the software scene or business ecosystem like in Sydney?
1: Mm, it is highly competitive, um, in terms of attracting talent um so we've got some you know i guess regional offices some of the for some of the you know big silicon silicon valley you know companies so you'll find big google offices here big uh, meta, meta companies here um uh yeah it's an interesting landscape i mean we've we've forged out um a niche for ourselves um a lot of the guys that have worked with us over 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 previous years and stayed with us for a decade and and left the business have gone on to very high powered jobs in big media companies as well um so there's a lot of um i guess if you had to to break it down there's a broad spectrum of sort of general app developers media companies um and uh you know then atlassian which is a big you know um, NASDAQ listed companies are also headquartered here. So, when we're competing against companies like that uh, in terms of um, talent acquisition, it's you know it's um, doesn't doesn't always feel like it's a level playing field. Yeah,
0: you mentioned the backgrounds of the other two co-founders. We have a technologist. We have a mathematician. What's what's your background and and what <clears throat> discipline do you bring to the table?
1: Yeah. So. <clears throat> I'm I'm actually an industrial designer. Um, so I've got a, a Bachelor of Industrial Design, um, which is effective that's I I actually worked as for for several years after I finished university. <clears throat> so if if um you're not familiar with that, it's it's really um physical product design. So, you know, be the <coughs> the guys who design phones or the the kinds of projects I was working on was um Uh, urban transport design so trams trains this kind of thing medical equipment um, flashlights torches um, but that and that was at the you know I think going back to late 90s um, the genesis of um, digital and website design I I kind of fell into the web design so I really bring the design and the user experience side of of our application development to the table so Um, you
0: represent product essentially
1: yeah exactly um and you know threaded through that experience um my final year project was done in conjunction with um philips electronics back in 97 and um the the project was a solid state um, audio video player so it was effectively a precursor to an mp3 player Mm -hmm. um, and it was using the existing technology there um and then um after I spun out of a couple of jobs and, you know, as a young bloke just trying to figure out what I what I wanted to do with my career, I um actually started up a a business called Mule Music in 2003, which was a um it was iTunes, effectively, in the Australasian market. So, you know, I'd seen what peer to peer was doing, um, Napster, etc. Um intuitively I believe that there was a Um, a commercial model for rewarding the copyright holders as opposed to ripping them off. So I I went round to some of the commercial labels domestically here in Australia. So I went to uh, firstly to EMI and Festival Mushrooms, Festival Mushroom Records, and I also went to the Australian Performing Rights Association and got them to licence me as a legitimate um, digital download service. Um, And I signed deals with EMI and Festival Mushroom And so I kicked off with maybe 300,000 tracks. Um, and the, the guys that I got to develop that application were Hamish and Roland. Uh So that's actually how I got into business with those two. Um, and we, so we've been in together in business together before harvest media for about 17 years. Wow! Um, so
0: how did you identify the production music space as, as sort of green field for you? What was the, can you take me through that bridge?
1: Yeah, so that comes back to your original question. Um, <clears throat> so through that work and that application um, that we'd done with Mule Music, it's effectively like a iTunes-style service mm-hmm. and it was publicly visible here in the Australian market. And um, so I think that someone at Foxtel actually saw that and, um, you know, they, they were doing a bit of background research on their project needs and they came across us, um, contacted us, And they could see that we knew how to handle the audio and the metadata side and that we could also marry that with an application front end. So that was really the start of it. And then that, you know, that's um, that chance meeting with uh, Big Bang Fuzz, who was firmly in the production music space, we kind of pivoted from commercial music, B2C to B2B. And, you know, in part it was by, that was sort of, early 2005, which I think is about the time that iTunes launched in Australia. And, uh, you know, they they came in with a big, uh, heavy-hitting marketing budget. My business was self-funded, and I kind of needed to pivot and look at things differently. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I kind of, I, as you were starting to tell that part of the story, I was thinking, were you running from something or running towards something? And it seems like the start of running from something gave you the thing to run towards.
1: <laughs> yeah. But what I had after all that time experience was so some really good relationships in the record labels. So I knew who to call to get up, get agreements with. Um, you know, uh, so yeah, it was just all about progression of, of a, you know, pretty. Pretty normal career. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, well, not only that, I think something that, that might be lost on, um, on younger listeners who sort of have grown up in the more modern digital ecosystem and digital media era is that there's probably a lot to be said for the fact that you had a few years of being a responsible, well, you used the word steward of their content. You, you didn't start off as a rogue, you know, MP3 site that then tried to come in from the cold. You were that sort were of mm-hmm. developing solutions using technology for the industry, and they probably saw you as someone that um, was probably crazy enough of a tech guy, but <laughs> but not so crazy that you were going to try to build a business around using their content for free.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. As I said, I think I I, I just felt that <clears throat> intuitively um, from the get go. And, and and look, there was so much in the press already about the problems with um, with Napster and. There was, I can't, the name escapes me now, but there was one peer-to-peer network here in Australia which was causing all kinds of eruptions with, um, you know, copyright societies. And <clears throat> so, you know, it's, I certainly, it was by design that I positioned myself as a friendly and, and also felt that if the product was delivered in a certain fashion um, and in a convenient, user-friendly way, that people people will pay for that. Um, and that construct was effectively the application, but I partnered with several MP3 manufacturers um, and we were using Windows Media Audio combined with their uh, copyright management software called DRM or Digital Rights Management to um, enable and enforce the distribution of that. So, for example, you could only download it five times or copy it to three devices, this kind of thing, all of which ultimately was pretty clunky. At, you know, at the time, but it was part of the necessary progression and evolution out of the CD based economy into the digital economy. That's right. Yeah. We and then onto those streaming things. Yeah, that, that, yeah.
0: Those transitional technologies are those, those wayposts that nobody really believed in on, at,
1: at at the time. Mm. <laughs> yeah. To- <laughs> totally. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, we could go down a rabbit hole on that, but it's a, it's a very interesting progression.
0: Yeah. What were some of the what have been some of the other capabilities you've either had to um, organically uh, build into your platform and your model, or that you've um, you know that you've that you've expanded into through corporate development or acquisitions? Um, how, how basically now that you have this beachhead, how do you protect your territory but grow within it?
1: Yeah. Yes, yeah, that's uh, a really interesting question, and. <clears throat> um, we do have a, a beachhead of sorts. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're in a niche business, so, so perhaps we fly under the radar of, you know, big money, um, you know, looking to, to, you know, snaffle us up or sweep us out of the way. Um, so by virtue of that um, and having the ecosystem and having a, a broad breadth of clients that we work with around the world, we're constantly receiving ideas and updates um so our ability to forecast where the market's heading based on anecdotes conversations and also data um is really important um to us um and what where that's leading us to at the moment um is we either develop and and so we we of course you know innovation is really key we 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 develop um a lot of new services annually and, and devote a portion of our <clears throat> of our revenue to R&D. Um, so, for example, we've uh, created a, a, a search algorithm called Evoke, which uses a seed MP3 file or a YouTube file to go and find other tracks that might sound like that track. Um, so that's, you know, that's a really neat service um, concurrent to that. Uh, there's other operators in the market that do it as well, if not better than what we do. So we've part, we like to go and partner with the best technologies in the marketplace. So, you know, recently, um, we've, we've partnered with, um, several companies. Um, I'm happy to name them too. Um, there's a German based company called Cyanite. Um, there's a Czech based company called Ames API and a Singaporean based company called Museo. And they're really they really compete against each other. Um, they're what they're offering is artificial intelligence. So what they might do is take an audio file and scan it. And they're offering several services. And once they've scanned it, one of them might be um, auto tagging. So they're creating metadata. So what what's the instrumentation? What's the vocalisation? What's the keywording? What's the genre? Um, of of that track and and creating text-based metadata to be associated with that audio file. Um, They're also doing find similar services uh, like our Evoke service. So, you know, you could use a YouTube link or a Vivo link um, or or an MP3 file and it'll scan that and out of your own catalogue, it'll produce similar results to that original file. And that, um, you know, I think that's um, one of the, uh, you know in, my, in the last 10 years there's been we've seen several companies come and go get well funded not really achieve the outcome they wanted to but i i, I really think that these companies are starting to nail that down um and uh, and you know and starting to make it uh, accessible um across the board in terms of cost as well so um oh, yeah i'll pause there for a sec
0: well i was going to ask you I, specific to some of those uh some of the AI capabilities that you say, you know, maybe 10 years ago were coming and going, but now seem to be, uh, getting established. Is that a function of just computing cost or has there been some innovative breakthrough that has, uh, that has made them more viable?
1: <clears throat> yeah, I think the emergence of AI generally, um, has really just been in the last five years across many different markets and applications and, and the music market's been dragged along with that and that cross-pollination of, you know, using machine learning has made its way out of, you know, different areas of computer science and into music. Um, and, it, and it probably wasn't evolved enough 10 years ago, um, generally speaking about artificial intelligence, um, but in the last five years, you know, it's certainly it's certainly um, um, been an exponential um, growth in terms of the 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 um, the algorithms that people are uh, creating. So um, that's yeah, that's made its way into the, the music market, and and basically the judgment is how well does it work, you know. So if you have a, a an MP3 file and you drop it into The scanning service and it produces results which are hey a little bit ho-hum like they were five years ago but now you're hearing results which are like wow okay that's like you've just curated a playlist for me of of 10 or 12 tracks (coughs) from a million copyrights um and it is so bang on um in terms of uh you know how close it is but not not just in terms of instrumentation but you know, the mood, the feel um, it, it's, yeah, they're really, really quite um, the efficacy of the service is really there.
0: And at the, at the sake of being overly obvious about it, the benefit to your publishing clients is it unlocks more of their catalog for commercial exploitation.
1: Precisely. Yeah, precisely. <clears throat> it also, it's also a big time saver. So, you know, our clients, clients, edit producers, music supervisors, <clears throat> You know, they could be on, um, you know, factual entertainment shows that have deadlines, um, for, they need to produce 45 minutes of, of, t- of video or TV and they need to put together a, um, a playlist really quickly. Um, they might also have different cost requirements for licensing. Um, so the budget might only extend so far for music, they might have a track they really like that's going to cost them too much. So they might look for a licensing alternative that sounds similar that's at a lower price point. So there's definitely, there's, there's time efficiency, admin, and also cost benefits. Um, and then there's this, there's this new thing as well, um, <clears throat> uh, where we've got into, um, uh, moving content from free-to-air into um, catch-up TV scenarios as well or into international um, uh, regions. So so what that means is when a piece of TV is being syndicated into different regions or territories, the music licensing might not carry through with that. Um, they might not have done the deal right. They might not have done the deal thinking that, that it was going to be played in international markets or through an OTT service like Netflix so rather than going retroactively redoing the licensing agreement with the original publisher, they might replace the music uh, for cultural reasons in another territory, but they want to get the same look and feel for the music for that other region or territory that the content might be distributed to. For the catch-up services, they've distributed on free-to-air, they've spent their money um, on the mechanical Um, the upfront payment but they might want to lower their their ongoing performance um rates on the playback of that audio so they might replace an entire episodes of um of tv 45 minutes with a whole different playlist of music purely for economic reasons wow
0: i had no idea the extent of that i i i'd I'd heard that in terms of the territorial licensing and before that even with some dvd licensing um you know older tv shows that couldn't use uh when they you know they had a, a theme song or a pop song or what, what have you in the credits, but wow, that, that's yeah. really amazing. That's really amazing. Yeah.
1: I think the example that's been in the press <clears throat> certainly in the last couple of months was the, um, the original Dawson's Creek soundtrack, which <clears throat> if, you know, if you were, uh, I mean, I wasn't an original watcher of the program back in the nineties, but the original um, deal for that was like a five-year um, sync licensing deal. And so now that original, uh, you, you know, and so, so, so that nostalgia so if you're watching that now and you're an original watcher, you, you you know straight away that the um the the hero track on that is a different song. <clears throat> and that's that's pure and simple because the licensing agreement didn't extend. Um and then they probably tried to go do it around a negotiation and found that the investment may not have been worth it. So they've replaced it with something new. It's that scenario um that's being played. Now, of course, the licensing agreements with Netflix and you know, HBO Max and Disney Plus, et cetera, you'll, you'll see that the licensing agreements will change, you know, for duration, for region territory, <clears throat> but you still may find for cultural reasons the need to, to do reversioning of music as well in different languages, et cetera.
0: Yeah. Uh, nearing the end of our time together, there was a sort of more of a, a trend question I wanted to ask you about. And and you sort of hinted at this earlier. You Because you sit behind so many transactions, if you will, or so many, you know, so many, so many licenses, basically, you, you see so many usages. I wonder if if you could talk at all about um, what are the trends you see and like, where do you, how do you extrapolate out? Are there, are there more winners now because of these discovery tools or is it like other uh, you know, is it, is the, is there truly the long tail now, or is it, there's many more hits and, and fewer winners? Like how, how do you, how do you see the landscape?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot going on. Uh, um, you know, I think if you were to go back to um, two years ago, to December when COVID was kicking off, and you know, rightly or otherwise, we were concerned, our clients were concerned about the, um, you know, how well their businesses were hold up would hold up, and how well our business would hold up. Um, You know, obviously, through a lot of these lockdowns across many regions and territories, a lot of people were binging on TV. Um, So what we did see um, early on was, um, you know, a lot less mechanical, so a lot less upfront deals because TV production really slowed down, but then the performance ramped up. So net outcome um, across our network um, last year was that business... um, held up really well um, and, uh, and, then, and then through that process of being locked down, um, our clients um, went back into creative mode. So they went back and started creating a lot of new content um, and so what we're seeing now is a lot of new content flooding into the Harvest Media Network mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and it's a lot of very good content as well. Um, and and so as part of that trend, you used to see a traditional pro- production music catalog would have like a you know a, a fantasy CD, uh, a, ho- a holiday CD, a crime CD. A lot of the catalogs now are now artist driven, so so they're putting a an, um, a face to the name. Um, you know, I'll use the example of extreme music. You go there or you'll see Han, Hans Zimmer bio. You'll see Snoop Dogg's bio. So so um, you know the gap between commercial music and production music is absolutely narrowing. And the quality of and the production of the, of the music that's coming out that's pre-configured for, um, for TV or video, video production generally is really, really high quality um, piece of content. And what we're seeing in, in terms of trends recently, <clears throat> so we've done an integration um, with a lot of UGC platforms now, um, and and recent and in the last three months, we've delivered 500,000 copyrights into a TikTok integration. So um, you know what our what our clients are doing is they're they're looking at where video is being created and where it needs music, and that might be long form, so feature films, right through to 15 second UGC stuff.
0: That's,
1: that's um, so brilliant. the smart operators use the Harvest Media platform to. To distribute their catalog wherever that video is being created that's great. um and 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 with that comes a different product as well you know it might be curated down to a 15 second ready to consume kind of product as opposed to a traditional sort of three minute product
0: that's great that's amazing that the platform is able to facilitate any of those use case scenarios that's amazing yeah that's amazing yeah it's cool well um Thank you. Thank you for making time to do this. Um, it's a fascinating space you're in. I'm glad that you are coming out of COVID strong and mm-hmm. uh, continuing to use technology to help rights holders. That's, uh, I think that's that's often overlooked, but super important. We need we need people to be able to continue to keep creating, um, and it's the job of people like us to make sure that there's a revenue model that sustains them so they can continue to do that. Um,
1: but Yeah, thank you. 100%.
0: Thank you so much Angus Hayes and Harvest Media. Thank you Aunt Taylor and the team at Light. And as always, thank you for listening to Spotlight On. Get and share all of our past episodes, write a review, and even send us a message through our website spotlightonpodcast.com. If you like what we're up to here, please leave us a review on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Join us again next week, and in the meantime, be safe and stay in touch.